welcome to episode 64 of Our Baseball Weekly, the weekly podcast from the baseball subreddit. Today we kick off our Division Dames with Dylan preview series. Yes, the name is corny and terrible, but Jimmy named them last year. We're just going to run with it. Uh, we have users Seahawks Joe and THQP joining us for that. Before we get to it, though, my name is Nime, and I'm here with Phil and Shane to talk about all the news from the week. How are you doing today, guys? Baseball! That's how I'm doing. I was doing much better until Phil decided a great way for us to bond after shortly meeting was to talk about Game 5 of the 2017 World Series. And I am now doing less better, but I'm still doing all right. I'm excited about baseball. Uh, Phil, how do you feel about the fact that there's uh, so much baseball news that we're not going to get to talk about Mortal Kombat today? Uh, I'm really bummed, and uh, I'll have you know that uh, the the episode where we did the the outro theme song uh, acapella, I listened to that like 50 times and cracked up every single time we did it. <laughs> Honestly, completely forgot about that. Well, listen, once the episode's edited, it's out of my mind. <laughs> so <laughs> you need to go back and listen to it because it's fantastic. Um, no, I, I I remember it now. Now that you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Where <laughs> we just we just did Mortal Kombat. Actually, is funnily enough, we did it before we started anything, and then I just cut it and put it at the end. Uh, I remember now. Yeah, for sure. That was great. Right. It was a great moment <laughs> in podcast history. <laughs> it'll it'll go down in yeah in podcast history. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about there's a lot of baseball news, so we're just gonna get right into it. Uh, first, let's talk about. Very, very, very briefly, because they're going to talk about it more in the uh, the preview section. Uh, but Matt Olson uh, was traded from the A's to the Braves. Uh, big deal. Lots of stuff happening. Uh, I don't remember if he had already signed the um, big extension before the recording. Um, I know the passing tweet came out pretty, pretty shortly afterwards. But I mean, the biggest thing uh, we can talk, obviously, we're going to talk about a little bit the Freeman to Olsen and that all matters. But aside from Olsen being a Georgia boy and like being a really good fit there, the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos in the front office just have to receive all of the credit in the world for having Olsen, Acuna and Albies locked down for the foreseeable future for such a reasonable price. That's like an unbelievable core to build around not just in terms of talent but in terms of like financial flexibility so Braves <laughs> I would, are I would in argue such that uh, that Albies and Acuña are an unreasonably good price for, yeah, for I the mean, team definitely no yeah the Albies deal in particular is kind of upsetting and like kind of never should have happened and that's a, a different conversation about player exploitation and representation for another day it's like, it was like eight years of like seven dollars, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but if you're you're putting together a team, man, you're just gonna get the best players you can for the price you can. And Alex Anthopoulos has done an amazing job. Just like I just, just like want to uh, just want to go the, on record the, that I'm happy I don't have to face Matt Olson that often anymore. He he's a he's a killer, uh, and. Yeah, he's Dobby's a free elf. He's no longer at the A's. He can actually play for a good team now. Uh, for for those who don't remember, Acuna's contract uh, signed in 2019 was eight years, 100 million. Albie's contract signed also in 2019 was seven years and 35 million dollars oh, with two geez. club options worth seven million dollars. I think there were club options. There might have been a mutual option or something, but there were two options worth seven million each. It's that's bonkers. It's bonkers how little Ozzy Albie's is getting paid. Uh, 
they're both club options. Sorry, they are both club options. So uh, wild. It's wild. It's wild. Uh, I just I hope when the Braves go out, Ozzy doesn't pay for anything because he really shouldn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Um, well, let's talk about Freddie Freeman, uh, formerly part of the Braves core, uh, now part of the Dodgers core. Uh, Shane, I guess I'll give you the moment here. Six years, $162 million. How do you feel about Freddie Freeman on the Los Angeles Dodgers? See, I have this dirty little secret that I really don't like Freddie Freeman's swing. Like the, the shape of it, it just bothers me. And I've always kind of had that pet peeve. Um, so I'm going to have to get over that personally. But Freddie Freeman is just a consistent 300 average, 400 on base, 500 slugging guy who you can slide in the middle of your lineup. And he's just guaranteed production. With the loss of Corey Seager, the Dodgers needed to bring in some sort of big lefty bat. Um, I think Freeman's going to be amazing. And considering what well, we'll talk about this more when we get to the West preview. But considering Trey Turner came over at the deadline last year, we never really got to see the fully operational Dodgers in 2021, especially with Muncie getting hurt right before the playoffs started. So for 2022, to see that full lineup filled out, where the only starting guy who hasn't been an all-star is Will Smith, who is arguably the best catcher in baseball already, um, it's you got to be happy with it. And I very much am. Freddie Freeman's amazing. I think... We're kind of all over talking about the drama with the Braves and the whole exit. I don't think that's really worth getting into because I think it's a lot of just kind of petty, lame stuff. But from a baseball perspective, I mean, you do have the inkling, scary thought of an older first baseman, but dude can hit, man. And I think as a, from a leadership perspective, from a clubhouse guy all around, I think he's a great addition. And I'm really happy about it. I'm gonna say you can, you know, like have a problem with the swing, whatever, whatever. But like at the end of the day, the swing gets results, right? Like, Absolutely. Who, who cares what the swing looks like if he if he hits like Freddie Freeman? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's very convenient that Corey Seager was gone, leaving Freeman with the number five. It's like you know, we're just gonna slot one right in for the other. Who convenient? <laughs> Almost too convenient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, Phil, any other thoughts on on Freddie Freeman or? Uh, well, I've I've always liked Freddie Freeman, and I'm just happy he didn't go to the Yankees. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he grew up an Angels fan. I know Angels people were like, maybe we'll get Freeman, but you know, whatever. Yeah, we didn't knew that would happen. I mean, it could have. Listen, I, there's 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 worse reasons to go to a team than to play with with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, right? Like, if there's one thing the Angels like to do, it's to hand out giant contracts to position players. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, First baseman, even. Do uh, you think Moreno was actually going to make that happen? As he watches Anthony Rendon wither away, I don't know. Uh, and and uh, considering Anthony Rendon is about is from about 30 minutes from where I'm from. I it's, it's sad to watch him just be so bad in LA or, or play on that team. I wanted so much better for him. He could, he could still be all right. He's had, he's had a, a couple of, of down like injured years, but well, he was this, like, this he was, was old when he signed that contract is the thing. Yeah, and it was, he was 29. He was 30. Like he, you know, you know, he's got, it was, it was 30 and it was like a seven year contract, right? Like that's not the worst. It's not the best. It's just these the are the years you're paying for, right? These are the yeah. these are this is where the production's supposed to come well, like, from. He wasn't he wasn't bad in 2020. He was good in 2020. It was just 2020. Like 2021, he was injured. You know, it's mm -hmm. so it's tough to 
it's tough to really say. We'll see next year with with a potentially healthy Randone and and Trout. And I'm sure this will be a, a nice long conversation in the West previews. Yeah, um, as, as I'm sure Shane will agree with me, you know, we can completely disregard everything that happened in 2020 because it doesn't count, right? Okay, and we're just hitting all the greatest hits, aren't we? All right, listen. If, if we're if we're gonna do this, hey, let's talk about Carlos Correa. Okay. Um, <laughs> Minnesota Twins legend Carlos Correa, who signed a three-year, $105 million contract with an opt-out after every year. Um, clearly, this, this explains the Josh Donaldson trade to the Yankees. I saw a take somewhere that said it's very funny that uh, Yankees fans um, really wanted Carlos Correa to come to the Yankees, and instead what the Yankees did was give the Twins enough salary relief to sign Carlos Correa. Yeah, and uh, thank you to the Twins for doing that, because if there's any team I want to see it get stuck to, it's the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, there is an opt-out after every... So I think that I think what I what I read from a few people, uh, you know, obviously this is, this is fully conjecture, um, but uh, Correa signed with Scott Boris uh, as his agent, but he still had... Like he was still beholden to his contract with his previous agent, which was so a, this is the thing where like WGA, uh, the 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 way the story goes is that his previous representation was an entertainment uh, agent instead of being an, a sports agent. William and, Morris, yeah, yeah, it was William Morris Group, and their their contract pursuits had gone really badly. Uh, so that's why Correa swapped over to Boris, and yeah, that's 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 the prevailing rumor here too is that reason they they shifted from a long-term deal to a short-term deal was so boris could uh get his yeah to be yeah, clear so- because technically that other agency started the negotiations therefore they would get the bigger chunk of the deal so right. boris wants a smaller piece now so he can get the pie for himself or so, at least so that's how yeah. it goes Essentially, in a year, Correa can opt out of this deal at the age of 28 instead of 27 and then get uh, another, you know, have another mega mega deal. deal. Also, you know, be in a year without so many premier shortstops, uh, which is not necessarily the worst thing. Now, on the other hand, Correa was the premier shortstop this offseason. There are two big names that he has to go up against going into free agency next year in Trey Turner and Xander Bogarts. Uh, That is if, if Bogarts decides to opt out. Uh, he's still Correa is still going to get his as long as as long as he you know can stay healthy like he did last year, which some people have their doubts about. Uh, he doesn't have a down year. He's he's going to make money. Tim Anderson is also on the market, oh, yeah, so Tim, I wouldn't say shortstop is weak next year either. I'm not saying it's weak. I'm just saying it's not as strong as it was this year, especially because no, I I, really I, strong I think. Year. I think Bogarts is, is going to extend. I think Turner's probably going to extend as well. Uh, yeah, I, um, I can't see Trey Turner leaving the Dodgers at all. Yeah, so so like I you know, yes, on paper we're definitely it's 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 still strong next year, but if it's just Carlos Correa and Tim Anderson, like you know, I think I think Correa is is okay with that. Uh, but I guess we'll I guess we'll see. I don't know. I, so I, I was I know I was teasing this uh, before we were recording, but um, Don Granado of ESPN ninety seven five here in Houston tweeted out yesterday. I don't know if, if any of you had seen this, that the Astros ghosted Carlos Correa this week. James Click said he would get back to them and never did. And Jim Crane did not respond at all to Scott Boris's texts. Which, if that's the case, uh, as if the contract size that the Twins offered Correa that he agreed to didn't anger me enough, the fact that this, this is how the front office handled the situation, uh, I'm... 
beside myself yeah, I, in anger, but... What you're saying is Boris is beside himself driving around downtown Houston begging for Jim Crane's phone number. <laughs> for Carlos Correa's address. Yeah, begging for Carlos Correa's address. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Jeremy Pena season, and yeah, that's... Oof, that's a bad other... place to be if you're, if you're at that stage of grief. My, yeah, I just don't understand why the Astros couldn't have handed the identical deal the Twins did to Carlos Correa. If that you... makes no sense to me. It doesn't. It breaks my brain. Well, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Astros want some more commitment. Maybe they will. Uh, maybe they'll trade for one of those other shortstops or something like. Maybe they'll like they're going to trade for a bigger name shortstop to keep him on the roster. You know, because I can see I can see not wanting to give a guy like Correa an opt out after every year, right? Where the Twins are more willing to do that because maybe they'll be good this year, and if they're not, then Catch lightning okay, bottom. fine. Right. Yeah, but, but like, what are you afraid you're going to lose him? Well, I, th- I think yeah. Like I, think you, I, think, I think if you give him an opt out after every year, like it, it's just you, when you're built, when you're building a play, like a, a really good roster, you don't want somebody who might leave after every single year, right? Like that's that's what I feel like is 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 the issue there. Is they don't want to be like, all right, we're gonna and I mean, I like George doesn't... Springer, like Garrett Cole, now like Carlos Correa. Right. Well, that's this issue. You, you you don't want you don't want to tie yourself to the possibility that Correa is going to opt out next year or next year or next year. Like you you want to be sure. Um, now, certainly, what was his name? Pena. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah, go into much. I'm gonna go into insane overly overly optimistic mode. And uh, Jeremy Pena is one of the higher touted. Uh, prospects in our farm system he's been on the verge of breaking into the into the major leagues uh now for a season or two how he's going to handle big league hitting uh i don't know he's untested but you know we did the same thing in 2015 with carlos correa and threw him to the fire and you know that's why we're having a conversation about him now Um, i mean yeah if the if the astros think pena is their shortstop of the future that could be that could be a reason for it too i would guess you know, maybe maybe it's that. Maybe they're just willing to go out and pick up a shortstop if Pena doesn't work out. Or they're there's, gonna there's... maintain payroll flexibility and try to make another run at Carlos if he opts out after next year. After a year, yeah. Potentially that that as well. Yeah. It 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 is what it is. He I I, I was much sadder uh when Springer left. Um the the length of time that it took the decision to come down and the, the way in which it was announced, you know, at one o'clock in the morning on a, in a Saturday morning, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over the drama of it. I'm ready to start baseball. I would love it if he came back. If not, I wish him nothing but the best, but it's, it doesn't close our championship window that much. Uh, the age of the team is obviously going to shrink that more because we're getting older. We do need to get younger. It, it is what it is. We just gotta, gotta play baseball. All right, let's talk about some uh, some signings that we have a little less uh, personal attachment to. Trevor Story to the Boston Red Sox for six years, $140 million, with an opt-out after year four, um, but then the year seven option was $25 million with a $5 million buyout, but if they pick up that year seven option after year four, it becomes $20 million and guarantees it. I heard that they were going to green screen Coors Field onto the green monster to make him feel at home so he can hit. <laughs> I mean, Coors effect we have seen is is somewhat exaggerated. You know, sometimes the year after it uh, it has a little bit of an effect, but then beyond that, it it tends to normalize out. 
I think Trevor's story is good. You know, like even last year was kind of a down year for him, but it was still a good year overall. I still think he's a really solid um, shortstop. I think is I think is a good shortstop. Uh, we, you know, we talked about beforehand. I don't remember if it was you, Phil, or if it was you, Shane, uh, saying that you're surprised that uh, story only signed for six one forty. But I think I think really a lot of people underestimate Trevor Story. I think he's just really good, and you know, maybe maybe playing in Colorado for so long. That's who I wanted if we that missed is, out on Correa, and then we missed out on him too. If that says anything, yeah, 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 for sure. That's I mean that would have that would have been a good fit for sure. When you talk to Colorado hitters about the Coors effect, they'll tell you about a different Coors effect. They'll talk about how when you go on the road, all of these breaking pitches that were not breaking at home are now moving like wiffle balls. And that has such a substantial effect on your road splits just as much as the positive benefits of hitting in Colorado have on your home. That's that's the kind of thing that doesn't really get thought about enough when talking about the Coors effect. And that's the kind of thing that I think always helps Colorado hitters rebound. And I think generally, except for someone like Carlos Gonzalez, who was already quite old and past his prime by the time he left, I feel like there is a track record of Colorado hitters traveling well elsewhere. DJ LeMayhew wasn't good last year, but he had some really good years in New York. Yep. Uh, obviously, Nolan Arenado. But I also think it's important to note that Fenway is a really good hitting environment for him too. So like yeah. he may have left Colorado, but he's still in a good place. I think at second base, he just adds so much to that team. And yeah, my question before we started recording was not for the Dodgers because of our own personal circumstances, but for pretty much any other contending team. If I heard that Trevor Story signed for six years and 140 million, I would say, well, why didn't my team do that? I would want my team to do yeah. that, right? What do you guys no think? No kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's safe. Uh, as far as Phil goes, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Don't say. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I agree. I you know, uh, as as a Cardinals fan, I I would have been I I wouldn't have like because I, I don't think the Cardinals need a premier shortstop uh, with Nolan Gorman coming up who would who would move Tommy Edmond to short. Uh, but I I do think Trevor Story you know is a better hitter than Tommy Edmond for sure. Um, you know, it's just spend the money elsewhere sometimes for sure but yeah if you if you have a a hole at shortstop and you were intending to fill that hole with a 25 million dollar 30 million dollar uh carlos correa then yes why not fill it with a 24 million dollar trevor story or whatever it is it is kind of uh you know surprising that that yes specifically the astros wouldn't do that but uh see now's your chance to pile on shane there you go. <laughs> I'm just you just mentioned the name Tommy Edmond and that that man has the devil in him. So it just kind of threw me off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well it's it's Cardinal Devil Magic. That's what you, that's what you get. Yeah. Um uh moving on speaking of the Rockies, they signed Chris Bryant to a 7-year, 182 million dollar contract. Um I think my question is what? So <sighs> so okay, so I saw this signing and I thought one of two things. Uh, the first thing I thought was this was a put butts in seat signing because the Rockies have to have somebody that will draw fans to go to the game. And the second thing is, uh, is Chris Bryant a huge stoner? Maybe he just wanted to go go play where you could buy weed legally. All right, but like uh, you could buy weed legally at a lot of places. Branching out, we're branching out from that. I think the big uh, thing here is like the way that I think about it, and I know the Rockies are incompetent, okay? We don't need to talk about them not trading Trevor Story or not trading John Gray, or not bringing back John Gray when he made it pretty clear that he wanted to come back. 
Like we don't like there's a lot of goofy things that we don't need to it's, they make bad decisions. Their baseball operations is poorly le- poorly led, poorly run. I'm not trying to argue or say anything otherwise. But if you're the Rockies, would you rather just like sit and wither away like a team like the Pirates or the Orioles does and just suck and just deal with it? Or is it better for baseball that they're willing to hand out a large contract, a contract that some people have already compared to Eric Hosmer's, which is really scary. I think one of the like <laughs> contract calculator things did that, which is yikes. But anyway, still, the fact that they are, we just did this whole lockout. We had all of these conversations about how important it is to, to get players played, and especially players who aren't at the very, very top. I think Chris Bryant is still above the kind of middle class level of free agents we're talking about in those kind of conversations. But still, I think for the health of baseball, it's better for a team to behave like the Rockies, even if they're just really dumb and bad at doing things. It's better to do that than to be the Pirates and to have a $30 million payroll and do nothing. And like, you know, be, you know be I bad. wouldn't be surprised at like, at like five years, $100 million for Chris Bryant. You know, but seven and 182 just seems like a lot of money for a guy who uh, has, has, you know, steadily been declining, is already over 30, uh, is, um, you know, moving off of the somewhat premium third base to the not at all premium left field um i i just i just don't get it for the rockies and i'm not like i get it for chris bryant but i also don't like that's a bad team i guess you already have a ring so you don't really care that much so you know um, but no, like, I mean, you know what this reminds me of is michael kane filmed the movie jaws for and i don't know if you guys have ever <laughs> seen it it's it's terrible um, is that the one where he's where he's supposed to be from Texas, but he's just doing the Cockney accent the whole exactly. time? That, that's that's yes, that's the one. Um, he okay. reportedly received one of the highest pay payouts of, of an actor of the time for that movie, and some critics were kind of roasting him about it. Says, "Well, Michael, why did you take this the role in this movie?" He says, "I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, but I saw the boat it bought." Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I get it. I, I I like I guess I get that, you know. But just like, whew. And, you know, like it's not like Chris Bryant was hurting for money, right? Like <laughs> Chris Bryant made a lot of money. This brings it's up, a but beautiful... this brings up a point that I want that that Shane brought up that I, I wanted to I wanted to touch on was uh, I I agree I agree with you one hundred percent. Felt this exact same way during the lockout that teams like the like the Pirates, like the Orioles, like the Rockies need to maintain some sort of professional um, competitive shit or com- competitiveness and. This this seems like the Rockies are feigning the, hey, look, we're trying to do something. We signed Chris Bryant. We gave him a ridiculous contract. We're trying. This doesn't seem like they're they're making the moves to be a competitive team. This looks like they're just trying to look like that. They could just be really bad at it, though. Yeah, I that's mean, the that's, thing. That, it's like, that's obviously the, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the answer. They're just, they are... Especially in they had from top the to third best organization. home record in the National League last year behind the Dodgers and the Giants. They seemingly, it could just be a fluke, but they seemingly have figured out the weird core situation. There is a chance that Dick Monfort is in there thinking that he is like a step away from competing. You have to remember that he went, they went to game 163 in 2018. They were a playoff team. Uh, the famous, that's a win for the Cubs uh, quote. All of that was pretty recent. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rockies think 
that they are that close to being good again. And also, there's a lot of teams who will do a lot of Rockies bashing when the Rockies have accomplished a lot more in the last five years than your my, team has in a much longer period of time. Uh, uh, not any of our teams. I would argue uh, that. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Hold on. One of these things is not like the others. We've been to the World Series three times in the last five years. I don't know about y'all. That's that's fair, but the oh, Rockies but. haven't accomplished more than the Cardinals oh, in the last in the last ten years. Oh, they, okay, that's fair. That's all I'm saying. They 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 they've the Cardinals haven't accomplished as much as as the Astros or the Dodgers. True, true. But they've accomplished more than the Rockies. There um, you go. <laughs> nice so, clean you know, bar to clear. Got that at least. Um, uh, what my question is: Was anybody else offering Chris Bryant seven years or a twenty-four, twenty-six million dollars, or whatever uh, average annual value? Like that's the thing. Is like it just it seems like the Rockies were bidding against themselves for a player of the like. I don't think anybody else is offering him more than I would guess five years, one twenty, something like that. If this. It, I don't if this was to happen to anyone, though, it's perfect that it happens to Chris Bryant. It's a beautiful cosmic sign of the universe writing itself that the guy who became the poster child for getting your service time screwed over and losing a year of free agency then gets a deal that a lot of people think maybe he got a year or two too much like that yeah, is perfect. Um, also, to go to the Rockies, who uh, who <laughs> don't seem like an ownership that really cares, uh, which seems like something that that I don't know. Chris Bryant, I for me, it seemed like something that Chris Bryant would care about, but maybe he just cares about that bag. I guess. And Colorado's a beautiful state to live in. It is, yeah. Denver's a Absolutely. nice city. Denver's a nice city. Um, uh, what's funny is, and this is the segue to the, to the next thing. Um, it reminds me of uh, in in the offseason simulation, which if you want to listen to us talk about that, uh, uh, Corey and I talked about that a, a few episodes ago. Check that out in the feed. Um, somebody, <laughs> I, I was the agent for Kyle Schwarber and somebody offered me seven years and $105 million on him. And I was like, give me a minute to think about it. And about five minutes later, I was like, okay, let's do it. Just to, like <laughs> make it seem like he wasn't being an idiot. Um, but like, clearly it was a dumb signing that really, that's what it feels like for me with offering Chris Bryant seven and 182 from the Rockies, but maybe that's what they needed to get him. He was like, listen, I'll take six, one forty from a good team or seven, one eighty two from a bad team. Um, speaking of Kyle Schwarber though, and this was the Phillies who did in the, uh, in the sim as well. Uh, Kyle Schwarber signed with the Phillies for four years and $79 million. So about, uh, you know, just under 20 million a year as well as Nick Castellanos for five years and $100 million. And uh, I have to say, this is a lot of money being spent for a team that's going to finish 85 and 77. The Phillies are going to be the greatest offensive and worst defensive team in baseball next year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, again, a take I saw somewhere was uh, Phillies read universal DH and thought it meant they needed a DH to every position. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to lose a lot of games 12 to 13. <laughs> What fascinates me is the mindset of like knowing that these are already your existing problems. Like the offense is fine. It was fine last year. The defense was atrocious. It's been atrocious. We've all known it's been atrocious. We've talked about it being atrocious. It's so much it's affecting saber metrics. It's that atrocious. And still you just you laugh in the face of it and you move in the opposite direction. I don't know. It's interesting. Their offense is going to be really fun to watch. Citizens Bank Park is going to be bopping, but I don't, and from a team composition perspective, I don't know. What I will say to Kyle Schorber's credit is he seems like he should be worse at defense than he is. 
Um, like he's a guy who's like he just he feels like he should be really bad at defense, and he's just, he's just like pretty bad. Like he's like he's not great or anything, but as far as a left fielder goes, he's not that bad. Nick Castellanos is pretty bad. Um, but if you got a DH, you stick Castellanos to DH, you put Schwarber in left field. It just feels like Schwarber's built like a DH. Uh, and like for since he was a rookie, people have been talking about like he's eventually going to be a DH. He profiles as a DH. Like but I, he's not really a catcher. He's not really a left fielder. He's he's a DH. I don't understand. He wasn't that bad. Only first percentile outs above average last year. But I don't understand. Again, I'm not saying he's good. <laughs> I don't understand about Schwarber is, is why aren't the Phillies using him at catcher like I do in the show? It's just the best, it's, it's the best use of his position. Um, <laughs> he still has a catcher secondary. He still yeah. does have catcher secondary. I think he's out above year. average numbers are impressively bad. They're bad. I'm not saying they're good. Ye, like year after year. I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying they're better than you'd expect them to be. <laughs> he hits bombs. If I don't know if it's possible. I feel like you'd expect it to be the just looking at him, you'd expect him to be the worst. And he's not his crowning achievement is the ninth percentile in the shortened season. He's never cleared five the fifth percentile and outs above average in any year, which is like impressively bad. But again, like that's fine in a vacuum. That plus Castellanos plus already having a history of an awful defensive team just I like are you just laughing I, in the face like are you actively saying defense doesn't matter I mean you have to I be, am right? excited to see the uh, yeah the uh, Castiana Schwarber and uh, Bryce Harper in center field outfield that uh, <laughs> that sounds like it'll be a lot of fun there was, there, was game year, dream, though. there was a year I swear to god I think the Mariners had um they, I think they never did this in the in the in the regular season but in the in uh spring training they had uh Raul Abanez, Jason Bay and Mike Morse as their outfield. Oh and it's just like incredible. I wish it had been in the regular season, but it wasn't. It's was like, wow. Wow. We all we have to remember that defense doesn't score runs, but home runs do. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right, let's trying, try and, uh, fans, a little... I'm trying. <laughs> let's talk a little yeah, bit about the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees shortly after trading for uh, Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kanter, Falefa, they signed uh, Anthony Rizzo for two years and thirty-two million dollars. Seems about right for Anthony Rizzo, uh, and then to clear space, traded Luke Voigt to the Padres. Um, yeah, I, Rizzo. Yeah. Is anybody surprised that Rizzo went back to the Yankees? Because I'm not. I'm not surprised. No. It's just does this like I mean. I know the the Yankees are the Yankees. Does this not feel like anything other than like the dog sadly walking with the tail between its legs? Like not not getting Freeman, not getting Correa, not doing anything in the outfield when you like you said at the beginning of your offseason that those were the three main issues. You went after Verlander, so clearly you cared about starting pitching and you didn't really do anything there either. It's just like and then just to go back with Anthony Rizzo, who's fine at this stage in his career. He's okay. Uh, people, it's people will be okay with that. And then you ship off Luke Voigt, who you should have, if you were going to trade, you should have traded immediately after the 2020 season. Instead, you just kind of let him wither away. You let his value wither away, and you still end up getting something good for him. Justin Lang is legit. He's a first round pick, um, quite recently, and I do really like that move for the Padres, but. I just like, what are you? Come on, you're supposed to be 27 rings in me right now, and you're not. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is this is a a standard. Um, you know, the last few years of the Yankees have not been that twenty seven rings Yankees. You know, it just seems like they they still need to put a good product out on the field because Yankee fans will not tolerate them being bad like uh, like the Rockies are. Um, I just like going back to snipe at the Rockies. I feel bad. Sorry, Rockies fans. Um, but uh, you know, it, it also does seem like it's like all right, we're going to be good enough, you know, and they traded for Josh Donald. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot of over the hill veterans, right? Josh Donaldson, Anthony Rizzo, Trying you know, sticking the with LA some Lakers. of the guys. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of been the Yankees MO for a while. Not right? Is, fan, is, are you Shane? I mean, I have to be. I'm a Clippers fan. I'm not a Rockets fan. No, I can't. Fan. Come on. <laughs> I don't have to think about enough. what you just said to me. No, you're not wrong. I'm a Rockets fan. You don't have to be a Lakers fan. I am a proud Lakers, Rams, Dodgers, Angelino. Thank you very much. But yeah, I mean, I you're right. I mean, Garrett Cole was was the big pickup. That was a a, a Yankees of old kind of move. But Steinbrenner is just. I don't. We don't need to get into the whole like New York rivalry thing. But when you have Steve Cohen step in and immediately spend all of the money, and then Early you just of kind it. of look around and just go, ah, no, I think this team is a championship caliber team when you got bounced in the wild card. Like, I don't, that's not, doesn't instill confidence. What's the over under, what's the over under on games that the Yankees fans will be calling for uh, Aaron Boone's head? Two, Uh, three, one. Yeah, it was happening. It was already happening. There were a lot yeah, of things yeah. I wanted mean, to go into the new <laughs> Well, you know, new season, hope springs eternal. But how long is it going to take this season? Uh, I would say th- uh, uh, two days ago after the first spring training game or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I mean, the Yankees will be fine. You know, it's it's one of those things where the AL East is always pretty good. So maybe they're just happy to tread water and see where they're at mid season and then make a splash if they need to. They're going to have to make a pretty big splash to catch up to the blue Jays is all I'm saying. Well, sure. You could have said that last year too, though, and they beat the blue Jays. So like it's, I I, I, I want to wait to hear the AL East preview because I'm really interested to see what what the thoughts are on the blue Jays because they're going to be really, really tough this season. If everything goes right for all of these teams, um, then, you know, then the Yankees are probably in fourth, right? But they they just need a couple things to break correctly for them to to be a wild card team or even win the division, right? Like, that's how it goes every year in the AL East. So I I, I can understand them this not wanting to go all in. World Series. Absolutely not. You know, probably not, right? But you could say the same thing about the Braves a year ago. And hey. they did. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just say, like, I, still fresh. I'm just saying like, like a year ago, the Dodgers were world series favorites, you know, and, and the, and the giants are the ones who won the division. So like, you just, right. you just don't, you, I feel, I, I feel, I don't feel confident in saying this team can't win a world series. I mean, well, um, that's, that's why well, I'll, I use the hoary old quote, but that's why they play the games. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, it just, again, if the things break right, maybe they make a big, uh, uh, mid season splash. Maybe, maybe the off, like maybe they just go into the postseason on a big surge. Like anything can happen once you get to, especially September. You I, know, mean, so. I, I, I get, I get Shane's sentiment, but, uh, 
I will sleep very well tonight after saying that, by the way. I just, I, I, just, I believe in it 100%. No, I mean, they, of course, if they do make some sort of significant acquisition, that's a different question. This yeah, team, yeah. as it is currently constructed, they did not solve any of their issues. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is a great defensive third baseman. He's a good defensive shortstop. We still have to see how that is. He won his gold glove at third base for a reason. Uh, the analytics determine how, how don't know how to feel it entirely of, of him at shortstop, but still. He was a great I fantasy catcher. <laughs> The, the catching position, I mean, I don't know. This team is not they, – they're still slow. They're still righty-heavy. They're still the same. They have all the same problems as before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'll. I think that's. I think we've basically summed up what they're about to say in the uh, in the division preview. So we'll we'll leave it to them there. But uh, yeah, I, you're not wrong. It just it just could work out for them, but it, it might not. Yeah. The, the, um, the 2021 Yankees do not scare me like the 2017 2018 Yankees did. Not not even close. Damn, we're talking about the good old days and a team that never even made a World Series. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Jorge Soler signing with the Marlins for three years and $36 million. Um, I guess that's what a, a World Series gets you. Derek Jeter died for this. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, I man. Don't know like, to... The Marlins moves are all really mediocre. And it's just like, I, it fits in well with the Marlins brand. Yeah, I just, yeah, man. What a weird, what a weird deal for a player who's like, it's fine. He's okay. You know, like, he's, he's not been very good. He had, a, he had a really good half season with Atlanta, right? But like, other than that, like, he's not great. Uh, but, you know, for the whatever happened to Sixto? I think he's still around. I think he's still good. He, there's, they're not going to trade him right away. But you know, once once he costs money, is he going to crack? Just, the major? I know is the bottom, the like the twenty twenty bottom feeder Marlins aren't like a a real attainable thing. I don't think they would have done that over a full season. All of that, but it's weird to think that this team actually has had some degree of success relatively recently. And it just still feels like they're the Marlins. Apparently, Sixto Sanchez is dealing with another injury. So, oh, jeez, mm. a lot of good uh, young arms there. Yeah, well, uh, they'll be on other teams in three years. Um, yeah, let's mm. talk about. Uh, we talked a little bit about a team that we don't know what they're doing with. Uh, let's talk about another team, the Reds. Uh, no idea what the Reds are doing. They traded Jesse Winker to the Mariners, uh, and you know. Tossed Eugenio Suarez in that trade as well. Kind of makes sense. The salary dump, you get rid of Suarez, but keep uh, Winker. But then they went out on record and said they're, they're not going to trade Luis Castillo. Uh, they're not going to trade... Um, oh, I forget who the other player was. I, I, they they made a bunch of little signings. Like I, I, I don't know what's going on in Cincinnati. But, Joey you know, yeah, <laughs> it's been it's been tough. Apparently, you know what the people inside the Reds organization or like the rumors have always said that they really went all in on 2020 and the pandemic probably hurt them more significantly than any other than any other team because they hoped that that kind of investment into that roster was going to pay off. And because of the circumstances, it didn't. Um, I don't know how true that is. I don't know. I don't really want to carry water for for owners who whine about not wanting to spend money. 
Um, but I just think it's funny that this is the same this is the same Reds team that like just got burned a couple years ago, getting rid of Homer Bailey for salary relief and gave up what ended up being two top fifty prospects in the process. Like if you're a team that's trying to get worse, which they are clearly doing, they're getting rid of I mean, they're getting rid of some of the big pieces. I wish that they would just go for it. Um but also you should be taking on like you the Reds are exactly the kind of team you have Votto there, so maybe it doesn't perfectly work. But the Reds are the kind of team that should take a Hosmer contract for a guy like Robert Hassel, like a big. That's the kind of move that you should be making yeah. if you're a team that doesn't want to compete, but you still want to do something to move yourself in the right direction. And that's what they have to be doing, considering they do want to hold on to guys like Castillo. They clearly don't want to just totally pack it in. So you, you got to do well, something. Like- the thing is, they like they weren't a bad team last year, right? Like, they were they were in the wild fine. card two hunt. They were in the wild card two hunt until like the last two weeks of the season, right? Like if the Cardinals hadn't gone on the crazy win streak they had, the Reds probably would have gotten that second wild card. Um, so it's it's you know it's it's just kind of weird that they you know it started with I think before the um, lockout uh, they just let Wade Miley go for nothing. And then uh, this week they traded Sonny Gray. They uh, traded Jesse Winker, um, uh, which by the way, it's good, good for the Mariners. Like, um, you know, he's, he fits right in there. Um, they traded Amir Garrett for Mike Miner, which seems weird because Miner has value, right? Like if you're going to trade, trade for, you'd think you would trade for prospects, and not like a 37 year old lefty. Uh, they said they're not trading Castillo and Tyler Maley, like, and then they signed, you know, some decent, not, not great players, but players who were like, all right, you know, fill out a roster, Donovan Solano, Buck Farmer, um, Colin Moran. Like I, it just, it seems like they're just like, yeah, we're going to tread water, like actively tread water. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Seems like a seems like a, a huge waste of uh, Joey Votto's time. <laughs> and Joey Votto. Uh, the other thing, like I don't, you know, I don't think Votto has any interest in leaving Cincinnati, and Cincinnati shouldn't have any interest in losing Joey Votto. It's just like, cool, he's going to be another one of those, you know, sports figures who spent their entire career with one team and uh, and never, you know, made it past the the second round. Whatever. Canadian uh, hero. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Votto does deserve better. Uh, he's just, uh, he's just stuck with the Cincinnati Reds for another two years uh, and the team option. He's got to deal with the uh, Andy was dealt. Yeah. Um, let's talk another uh, NL Central. Seiya Suzuki signed uh with the cubs for five years 85 million dollars full no trade clause it is the biggest contract for a position player coming straight from japan um he's gonna he actually said he's wearing number 27 in honor of mike trout which is (laughs) very cool i don't know much about him uh either of you two can pull me in yeah, I mean, he was he was really really good. In Japan. I think he hit like twenty five home runs like every year in Japan or something like that. Um, uh, looks like thirty eight for uh, last year, twenty five in the shortened twenty twenty, twenty eight in twenty nineteen, uh, thirty in twenty. Uh, by the way, the Japan's twenty twenty wasn't as shortened as ours for what it's worth. Um, so yeah, like at, each of the last. Uh, since 2016, since he was 21, he's hit at least 25 homers every year uh, for Hiroshima. 
Um, I mean, he's a he is a good player. You always aren't sure, you know, with uh, with players coming over from Japan if all that's going to translate over. Um, he is supposed to be the closest thing to a sure thing that they've had since, you know, uh, Hideki Matsui, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the big question is always when these guys transfer over is how is it going to go? And as, when it comes to the Asian players, that's usually related to velo. Uh, the high velo stuff is something that isn't super prevalent in those leagues. And when it comes over, it can be a big step up. So a lot of times it's just seeing how a guy like that can deal with something like that. Um, but yeah, everything about Suzuki on paper is is a guy that you would have confidence in. And they think that they can stick him in, in center field. And that Cubs team also has made a lot of interesting moves. Like they signed Marcus Stroman on a deal that I thought was like really good that a lot of teams would probably want to sign him for. Yeah, I was I was upset at the Marcus Stroman contract because I thought the Cardinals absolutely should have signed him for that. Like he's perfect fit on that team. But anyway, like trading for Madrigal, like there's a lot of interesting moves. The Cubs, I, I don't think they're in a position to to totally compete, but the NL Central is not the strongest division by any means. Yeah, I think that they could sneak up on people. Yeah, they are. They are an interesting team. I, I I don't think they'll compete this year, but they do seem well in place to compete in a year or two. Um, so uh, yeah, I I I. I definitely it's it's one of those things where like I didn't get the Marcus Stroman thing when it happened, but sort of paired with with a player like Suzuki and and potentially some of the other little moves they they definitely you know placed themselves in a in a good spot to to finish not poorly this year and potentially quite decently next year. Um, it is you know it is a little weird that they burned a bunch of bridges on their way to it, but uh, you know it's fine I guess. <laughs> um. All right, some a couple of one-year signings. Kenley Jansen signed for one year, $16 million with his hometown Braves. Uh, Zach Granke signed for one year, $12 million, uh, going back home to the team that it's all started with, with the Royals. A um, couple of, yeah, you know, one-year moves. I love Kenley. I will always love Kenley. I have a, a Kenley Jansen Players Weekend jersey in my closet right now. He always got a bad rap from Dodgers fans, in my opinion. He was nails. Um, he obviously had his rough moments, and there were... I remember standing in front of my TV motionless for so long in that 2020 World Series walk-off where he just, like, fell to his knees on the mound when he should have been backing up. Like, that. Like all of that hurts my soul. But Kenley was so good. I think it was time for him to move on. I think that... You know, when you hear him talk about it, he, he did have this big connection to the Braves that I don't think a lot of people realized. Yeah, for us, not not like a hometown hometown, but like he grew up a Braves fan because you just you got the, everyone got Braves, like you know in mm -hmm. in the nineties, everyone got the Braves. Yeah, it's so. yes. Yep. Uh, I I actually this is a question for you, Shane. Um, so with 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 Kenley Jansen moving on, who did the Dodgers pencil in as their as their closer? Is it uh, that's is it, that's a big discussion right now. They Trinan. will not. They do not want to put Trinan in there because they love Trinan as a fireman, and I think that's huge for making the pitching situation work. Is that any any night you can put him in the biggest spot and he'll take care of things. Um, but as to who they will put there, I think it might be a bit of a revolving door at first. I think they'll be trying different people. I don't think they'll be married to anything throughout the season. 
And then maybe if someone emerges, I know that a lot of fans would like dream of someone like Bruce Dargratterall being able to take that role. I don't think that he has the swing and miss in his game for that. But there's a lot of there's a lot of things that they're going to try. And that's kind of what the Dodgers do. Uh, we'll talk about that more in the preview. But that's that's why they've been signing like they'll sign every like mediocre starting pitcher. Like they got Tyler Anderson, they got Andrew Heaney, they got like Duffy. Like they just they just want to pile up arms and then they'll just see what happens. Um, but Kenley's definitely gonna close in Atlanta. He's a very capable closer. Obviously, you know, the the confidence was gone by the postseason for the Dodgers, and I think that was the biggest sign that he just couldn't come back if they weren't willing to let him close playoff games. Like if that ship had sailed, then it was time for him to move on. But he's a great pitcher. I would love to see, just in general, relievers deserve more Hall of Fame push. And I don't know if he's there, but if, if relievers were to get more of the attention they should, I think he would be on that track. Um, big dude, big man, love him. I'll miss him. Let's get ready for a Dodgers closer, David Price. There you go. <laughs> That's what I want. And then uh-huh. Zach Granke is a guy who everybody loves, and I think him going back to Kansas City is a move that everybody loves. Yeah, you know, a surprise because uh, uh, I just expected that maybe it was like, yeah, the, the Royals gave him a deal and he was like, cool, let's go back to the Royals. But like, apparently he really wanted to go back to the Royals. Like I was I didn't think that was like a thing that, you know, he, Zachary doesn't seem like a sentimental guy. Um, but oh. apparently he said like, yeah, it was like the, the team he highlighted was like, I want to go back to where it started. I was like, all right, cool. I, I was curious about the Granky signing with the Royals because I didn't realize they needed a shortstop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that would be like the Royals are not going to be a good team. It would be fun to be like, you know what? Throw Zach Greinke out at shortstop for a day. Who cares? I know. I know. Let uh, him do it. Yeah, just forgo the DH on his start days. Uh, yeah, right. Astros fans were calling for it the entire time he was here in Houston. Is we want to see Greinke bat? Put him, put him in as a DH. Let him play shortstop for an inning. We want to see it happen. And and sadly, sadly didn't get the opportunity. Other than uh, other than his hit in the postseason last year, but. I, I love Zach Ranky. It's if anything, it's it's the one thing that Shane and I can both agree on. Is our, is our love for Zach Ranky. Uh, I'm definitely gonna miss him in the clubhouse and all his all his wild antics and uh, his hate for Chipotle and their overcharging for guacamole. I agree with you, Zach. It's too expensive. I don't want them to matter of principle. <laughs> principle. Uh, yeah, it's cool to see him go back to KC where it all. You know, maybe it's. Uh, and I know he he had announced that. Um, not intending this to be his last year so hopefully you know he goes and has success in kansas city yeah absolutely and i think that if you one of the best things you can do as a baseball fan is go look at zach Greinke's 2015 season that is the most underrated pitching season of the 21st century that season is unbelievable it's the definitely the best non-Cy Young winning season. I will go to my I will rant about Jake Arietta winning that Cy Young just because of his last good couple months forever. It's a full season award, whatever. Zach Rinke's amazing. He's everywhere he's gone, he's left a positive impression. And I hope he has fun. And I hope he's happy. And the fa- honestly, the fact that like he said Kansas City was like my number one destination. That is totally like a Zach Grinke thing. Very, like I wouldn't it's have picked a very it, Zach Grinke totally thing. Yeah. Just, I just, yeah, I just I totally didn't expect it because uh, it does seem like one of those things. Where it's like yeah, I don't know, but yeah, cool. You know, good for good for Grinke and the Royals, I guess. Um, you know, it'd be cool. 
Uh, all right, let's talk about some other non-signing news. We did finally get the uh, the offseason that we were promised in this last week. Um, but uh, Fernando Tatis uh, Jr. fractured his wrist in a motorcycle accident this offseason. Um, probably. I think we still don't know for sure that it was the motorcycle accident. We just know, we just know that his wrist was fractured, and he said, I won't ride motorcycles again. Sorry, Padres. Um <laughs> He also said which one when they asked him yeah, about yeah, yes, which is probably the worst which one. Which I feel like gets glossed over. Which one? Uh, no, I, I, I think he said he was joking, but it also seems like uh, he was told to say he was joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's my whole thing with Tatis is a lot of what he's done does not instill confidence in a guy that you just signed for. million over 13 or whatever years. Like the kinds of behavior that you would hope to look for in that guy who you just invested in. It's just, he's an amazing player. Absolutely. All those things. But you just, at a certain point, you just got to make better decisions. You got to not find yourself in, in these, like, come on, man. Come on, man. These these actions don't scream. I'm I'm a smart guy. Yeah, like, like you know, you hope he's going to be a little more responsible. You, you, you kind of expect this kind of, maybe not a, a wrist-fracturing motorcycle accident, but you expect guys to make mistakes like this, and then, you know, that's that's kind of why you have Manny Machado there, right? Is to be like, hey, mm-hmm. dude, come on. It's, you know, so... It's not like Joel Zumaya, you know, breaking his arm playing Guitar Hero or anything. I'm going to bring that up as much as I man. possibly can for, from here until the end of eternity. Here's the here's the thing. My only like little bit of pessimism involved, and I don't. I know I'm a Dodger fan, so I don't want it to come off poorly. But I do genuinely think this is a concern. The two surgeries that have been flirted with Batatis is a shoulder is a shoulder surgery and a wrist surgery. Those are both very significant injuries that carry very significant track records of impacting a player's play immediately after them. So I totally understand him wanting to forego those surgeries as much as possible. At the same time, this is a guy who you've invested for his entire career. Like you've decided this is going to be your dude. This is your long-term investment. You got to make sure you take care of your long-term investment. So I don't really know what that means. I think that there's a lot of just kind of wishing for the best in terms of his health, hoping everything gets better. And maybe that's kind of all you can do. But, I mean, you can't bubble wrap the guy, but at a certain point, you just got to hope he can be on the field and be what we've seen him I don't think you have be. to preface that as saying as you're a Dodgers fan and you don't want to come off that way. Uh, I don't have a dog in the fight, and I get the same impression. Like, he's got to be better than that. you got to be smarter than that. He's the fran- cornerstone franchise player for the Padres. You know, it... it <laughs> dumb kid doing dumb things and yeah i mean yeah but like he, again he's, he's you, you 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 what you want is for him to learn right for him to to, to to kind of make mistakes hope they don't impact him long term and learn from it and not do it that kind of stuff again but like you know if you had 
$340 million when you were 23, you'd be doing some dumb Absolutely. stuff. Too. The sure. best optics <laughs> of all of it, though, has to be them in Padres camp the next day, all like jumping on the golf cart and like continuing to do like goofy, fun, dumb, dangerous things. It's like, yes, perfect. Never change. Just keep that spirit. I love it. Um, uh, another accident, uh, Pete Alonso got in like a massive car accident, uh, this week. It said the car flipped over three times. Fortunately, Pete Alonso was fine. He was playing baseball the next day. So thank goodness for that. But, uh, yeah, if you look at the pictures, his truck is like completely flipped over, like fully destroyed, um, scary stuff. The, uh, yeah, and apparently his wife was in the car behind him, so she got to watch the whole thing unplay in front of her, and that has to be unbelievably terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the quote she says, uh, she thought she's watched her husband die. That's so, yeah. based, on, based on the pictures uh, that I saw of the accident, uh, the, it was the best outcome possible for aftermath of that, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that he was uh, uninjured enough to <laughs> literally be playing baseball a day later is like, because I have a, I have a friend who had his car flip over three times literally this last year, and like you know he's he's fine now, but like his right arm was screwed up, like it was it was not good. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, one last quick note, minor league rule changes, which will most likely be implemented in MLB for 2023, uh, 14 second pitch clock with bases empty, 19 seconds with the man on bases expanded from 14 to 18 inches, uh, shift band teams must have four fielders in the infield and two fielders on each side of second base. Uh, I do want to talk about that one, you know, expanded bases, Makes sense. They 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 want to you know it it kind of minimizes on injury if if it's done right increases steals hopefully which is which is always fun. Um, pitch clock is is kind of already been in the rule book just without a physical clock. So you know punishing players for punishing Jordan Lyles for standing on the mound for like an hour and a half before throwing a pitch. Fine with that. Um, as far as like again, so the shift stuff is weird, right? Like the shift has been around forever uh four outfielders have been around forever so you know these specific i get two on each side of the second base like all right if you want to do that like you can you can make that work specifically four fielders on the infield i don't like because four outfielders has been a thing for i i hate i hate this rule uh as a proponent of the shift think it uh, i i know a lot of the argument is is that it's it ruins it ruins the hitting game but no Learn how to hit to the opposite field. Learn how to hit through the gap. They're professional baseball. He says on his couch. <laughs> Wait, are you? A He's not. You're not wrong. Are you? Are you a? Uh, are you a proponent of ban the shift? Here's the thing. I was for the longest time. I was a keep the shift. The shift is good. Learn to beat it. I was all all of those things. I believe in all those things. But but you know, a maybe the game does one day level itself out and players do adjust but maybe they don't and i think it's much harder now to be a hitter than it ever has been talking about just hit it the other way was a lot easier when the average fastball was 87 miles an hour you know it's not the same game but more more importantly the biggest thing is does the shift being in baseball make the product of baseball better and i think the answer is unequivocally no 
And once I came to that realization, that's what really changed my mind. Watching a guy who's been perfectly positioned before the play start have an absolute rocket hit directly to him and what would have been either a single through the right side or an amazing diving play by the second baseman become a guy like Mike Moustakis just fielding a routine ground ball is not good for baseball. It's not a better version of baseball. It's not a more entertaining version of baseball. I don't want to see four outfielders who are all perfectly I mean the four outfielders thing doesn't even happen like I'm not that's a lame hill to die on because it's so not prevalent at all but well, so, in, so what I'm saying what I'm saying is it, it feels like a lame hill to die on for them to be like you can't have four outfielders and it's like this is a very uncommon thing like what's why why be so specific to get rid of that when it doesn't so happen a, that a, often it's the same thing with like an unrelated but semi-related note uh are you are you for or against the universal dh uh, I'm an NL purist, so I was anti-DH, but at the same time, like, I recognize that a lot of that comes from lame baseball purist stuff. Right, but so watching a pitcher hit doesn't make the product any better. Um, well, I mean, I moments like the Bartolo and Hyunjin Ryu home yeah, runs do make the product better, will, in my opinion. But, yeah, but greater, that's why, that's part of the reason why I'm okay with the DH. Like, I've come to terms with that because I recognize that. And I do think that it's better for the game to have that full lineup and to have all those guys hitting. And that's, that's you know, a, a, the same kind of thing that I've been coming to terms with with the DH. I'm sorry, with the shift. I just don't think that it's good baseball. I don't think it's more entertaining baseball. And I think... It would be better for all of us if we went back to what we fell in love with, right? I mean, they shifted Ted Williams. They shifted, like, I fell in yeah, love with, you know, they, like, I, they shifted David Ortiz for, the for my entire ever. life, right? Like, that's that's the game that I've been watching since I was a kid, you know? So, like, it's not, it's not, it's not like, it's something new. It's not new. at all the same. It's not, the fact that teams now are, sh every team is shifting, and they're shifting at, monstrous rates compared to any of those things when the shift was a cute little quirk of baseball absolutely i loved it because it was a cute little shift quirk of baseball it's not that anymore it dominates the game and it affects the quality of the product for the worst and i just i don't think that's something that you can really argue with i don't know can you t like do you think players position perfectly who don't have to move and to turn otherwise exciting plays into routine plays is more entertaining like do you root for the guy who's like who crunched those numbers and was like yeah good job dave like you you really told mike moustakis where to stand who cares i don't i don't, I don't think it's that black and white though so yeah, what, I, for, uh, first uh, two, two things first of all i do agree with phil i don't think it's that black and white second thing uh, i do root for that guy he is my friend dr tyler birch there you uh, go. And he works for the red sox <laughs> you and one army <laughs> he's been on the show go back it's like a episode five or something like that feel free to listen before he got hired by the red sox uh good guy i was at his wedding um <laughs> let's uh, uh last minor league rule change uh alternate robo ump systems apparently triple a will have fully automated balls and strikes low a is implementing a challenge system with three ball strike challenges a game that you don't lose if you get them correct um i feel I I am pro robo ups, anti ball strike challenges. I am pro a world where Angel Hernandez and CB Buckner uh, are not as responsible for the game as they have been in the past. Uh, I agree with you that I don't know if I like the ball and strike challenge. Whatever world results in the least amount of fans complaining about umpiring impacting the result of the game is the world that I want. We already live in a world where we don't have to complain about Joe Buck anymore. So, yeah, now we eliminate the complaining about balls and strikes and we're getting that much closer to baseball utopia. 
yeah, just except with the shift ban and the universal <laughs> DH. Um, <laughs> you guys totally lost me on the shift. We're going to talk about that when this when we cut it because I, I have more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um all right i think uh i think we we've gone quite long on the intro but hey look it's time for long episodes again baseball is back baseball is here uh phil shane thanks so much for joining I'm, I'm me i'm very much looking forward to going back and forth with shane for the rest of the season this has been awesome yeah thanks for having me as always i'm excited for baseball to start again i'm excited for the season to start again and i'm excited for us to have a million things to talk about yeah, that's that's the the best part. There was listen, uh, shit. I don't think you were on, you were on a lot of the lockout episodes uh, like Phil and I were, but there, we were we were really scraping the bottom of the barrel for, yeah, for the last month to. or two. Yeah, it was, it was, getting, <laughs> so, it was getting pretty dire for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, if you if you listen in the feed, uh, Lewis came on and was like, "Listen, I don't know what we're gonna do in the future." And then a week <laughs> later, we had a, we had a CBA. So thank God for that. Um, hey, I'm just bummed that we don't get to, oh. we don't get to have our Mortal Kombat podcast after all uh yeah right yeah <laughs> um all right uh we're going to uh pitch now to dylan uh talking to seahawks joe who is a phillies fan and uh thqp uh blue jays fans talk about the eastern divisions uh so stick tuned for that Okay, guys, this is uh, Dylan. We are starting our Division Dandies preview uh, with the AL East and NL East. We have a couple of uh, guests here. We have Joe and Drew. They are representing uh, the Phillies and Blue Jays, respectively, as fans, I guess. But we're going to chat a little bit about each of these divisions and kind of how we think these will shake out. Uh, obviously a lot of these teams have had big moves in the last week. We're recording this on a Thursday, lots of breaking down, especially in the NL East and, um, some possible moving in the AL East as well, along with some moves that have already happened. Um, we're going to start with the NL East. Uh, I think there's a couple obvious points to start with the NL East. I think the Braves are maybe the most obvious of the defending world series series champions, and they've had quite the week <laughs> and, uh, Acquiring Matt Olson, losing Freddie Freeman is about as massive of a week as they've had in a while, probably since they won. And how do you guys think this is going to shake out for them and what exactly this means for them? I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, I've been watching Freddie Freeman my entire life as a Phillies fan, and he's someone that you really love to hate. Um, Matt Olson is someone I've really loved in Oakland for a long time. I think that he's a good player, but to me, it's, it seems like a pretty obvious downgrade. I know that Olsen's younger, maybe in a few years, they'll get to where Freeman is now. But for the Braves, maybe wanting to repeat as World Series champions or even NLE's champions, I think that this is something that really hurts their chances to do that. Yeah, it's it's tricky because I, if you just look at like 2021, right? Matt Olsen had a really incredible 2021, like probably right on par with what Freddie did. Freddie had a little slower of start, but obviously rounded into form like he always does, helped win a championship. If you just base it on that, it might be at least a lateral move, but there's so much more track record with Freeman, which makes it trickier, you know, and then you also act, factor in the team leadership and all this stuff. And it, and it becomes a, it comes a tricky situation. I'm a, I'm a Braves fan as well. And it's been a lot of math in my head and like, how much do I feel about this emotionally versus on the field and all this stuff? It's a, it's a tricky outcome. For sure. It's tough to measure those intangibles and see how they'll change how the Braves are. Um, 
I definitely think that Freeman's impact was a lot more than just the raw stats. Yeah. Um, I don't know who, like you're, you said you're a Braves fan. Who do you think yeah. is going to take over kind of as like that leadership role that Freeman's had for forever? That's a great question. Honestly, they get, they're bringing back some guys like Morton who have not been with the team for a long time, but seem to embody that, like, you know, they've been there, done that, and, you know, know how the organization works, even if he hasn't been around forever. Um, obviously, you have kind of the emotional heart of the team, which is Acuna, um, still very young. And, you know, he's probably not going to play at least the first few weeks of the season as they kind of ramp him back. But, yeah, that I think that'll be a really interesting thing. Maybe Olsen is that kind of guy. You know, he is an Atlanta native, which I think will be helpful for his acclimation to, um, you know, the team and stuff. But, uh, I think if he hits a few home runs, people will start really, you know, respecting him more for that. But yeah, I think uh, it'll be really interesting to see who that kind of central figure will be. If it is Ronald or if it is someone else, I'm, I'm very curious. Um, and then the other team, obviously, everyone's had their eyes on for months and months and months now, especially before the lockout was the Mets. Um, the Mets have spent just a ridiculous amount of money. We knew they had it in them. We didn't know exactly it would turn into Max Scherzer, <laughs> which I think horrifies all of us that have watched a lot of NL East baseball for the last few years. Um, I think the thing with the Mets really is they should have the best team, right? There should not be a question if this is the best team, because based on the numbers and the players that they've acquired, there should not be much challenge to that, even as good as the Braves or the Phillies might be by the end of the spring. But is Scherzer and all these guys enough to break that Mets curse funk, whatever you want to call it? It's like that that gross Mets thing they can never shake, you know? Absolutely. I, I look at the Mets last year, and I think they're a team that probably underperformed where they should have been. So many people on that team last year had down years. Conforto, who's obviously still a free agent. Uh, Alonzo had a down year last year. A lot of the pitching staff was. Obviously, the Grom hurt pretty much the whole year. So to me, I look at the Mets as a team that I could see having a major step up from where they were last year, um, especially when you add Scherzer and some of the other smaller pieces that they have on top of that. I think they might honestly be adding 10 wins to where they were last year. I think that yeah. the Mets are one of the most improved teams in the offseason when you consider everybody else getting healthy and maybe getting right after bad years. It certainly wouldn't be shocking, right? Because, I mean, especially DeGrom, right? DeGrom and Scherzer, if things go right, I don't know how you can get better than that. We've seen a lot of great ace pairings, you know, in a lot of different places, you know, but those guys at the peak of their powers would just be horrifying. It's just a matter of, are you going to get those guys at the peak of their powers? In the case of Scherzer, you know, is he a little too old to maintain that? And are they going to stay healthy? You know, and that's always been the Grom's thing is, can he, can he make it at least, you know, three fourths of the season, you know, you don't even have to get them to 200, just get them close and you have the best pitcher in baseball. So I think those things will be really interesting. Um, you're a Phillies fan. Um, Phillies are kind of an interesting place to just sign Kyle Schwarber, which I think is a big addition to their lineup. Uh, a lot of money for Kyle, but he is coming off a really great year. How do you think they stack up to the Braves who are the defending world series champions, but might have, you know, a little more flaws. And then the Mets who just pumped, hundreds of millions of dollars into their team. I definitely look at the Phillies as a team a little bit below uh, both the Braves and the Mets. I think that there might be some improvements, like what you said with Schwarber. We'll probably slot him in left field. I think he'll do fine over there. It's certainly better than Hoskins was in left field yeah. a couple of years ago. <laughs> it would um, hard to be that bad, I think. Yeah. 
Um, and I think the starting pitching for the Phillies is something that's pretty underrated. Um, Wheeler, who is having some shoulder issues, but should be okay. Uh, Nola returning to form. You know, if you look at his FIP and everything, he should have been a lot better than he was last year. And then you add in on top Ranger Suarez, Kyle Gibson, Zach Eflin, and also some good minor league players, um, Hans Kraus. I think that the Phillies have a very underrated starting staff. Um, mm. A terrible bullpen, obviously. That bullpen hasn't gotten any better. Um, I don't think that'll some ever of the... change. Yeah. No, <laughs> Different know, they, faces, same bullpen. They sign some guys, you know, they get Brad Hand, they get Familia, but, you know, they're losing Hector Neris, they're losing Archie Bradley, and the bullpen isn't any better than it was last year. And it's really hard for me to buy into the Phillies when that most glaring flaw that they've had for so long just is not better. Um, yeah. You know, they probably would have won at least five more games last year if the bullpen was just even bad instead of the worst of all time. And yeah. uh, I, I can't buy into the Phillies yet when, when they're having those problems still. Yeah. And there are a few marquee free agents left and we know the Phillies like to play in that market. Obviously Schwarber was kind of one of them. Um, and this is a question for either of you guys. Do you think, you know, someone like Trevor story could end up in this division, or do you think someone like Michael Conforto could end up swapping from the Mets to someone else? You know, you see, the Phillies still have some holes in places. The Nationals clearly can spend, and the Marlins have kind of an open payroll, even if they don't like to spend. Do you either of you see, you know, any of these other major types landing in this division and making it even trickier than it is now? Uh, for me, I don't see Story landing in the NL East. Um, I think if one of the big free agents left on the board signed in the NL East, I think it'll be Castellanos. Um, yeah. I saw him linked to the Phillies earlier today. And to me, watching the Nationals, to me, that seems like more of the kind of player the Nationals would go after. Um, I think that they always enjoy having kind of like a beefy outfield. And I think Castellanos would fit in really well with Washington. Um, but I think the question with that is I just don't know if the Nationals are really trying to compete yet. Right. Drew, do you have any thoughts on that? Not I, I, tr truthfully, no. <laughs> I, 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 I don't see much of a fit for any of the big names at this point in the NL East. And, and uh, yeah, I, I just don't see where any of those bats really fit in the outfields. I don't know what the Nationals are really trying to do this yeah. year. Um, and the Marlins aren't a fit for anything, I don't think. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't see any of those guys landing in the NL East. The Nationals are particularly tricky because, you know, you hear the stuff about Soto turning down $350 million, right? That is a lot of money. I understand that he could make more. That's also a lot, a lot of money. Um, it makes you wonder how they view these next couple of years, right? Do they view this as are they trying to get better immediately or are they trying to wait things out? And it makes you really wonder how they're going to approach this off season. And they've tried to add kind of on the fringes a little bit. They've added some solid players here and there. They brought back some old names like uh, Doolittle just resigned. Um, they've tried to flesh things out a little bit, but I just don't know. Can they, you can't spend to make up for the loss of Trey Turner or Max Scherzer. So even if you have the best player in baseball, where do you end up from there? And I think to that point, they, they really could be doing what the Padres did with Machado, what the Orioles might be trying to do with Correa, right? They already have their talent right there. So yeah. if you can give Soto 350, 400 million and, you know, stick around for a couple of years and then we'll get good. At least, you know, you've got your big piece out of the way and you're right. ready to rock and roll. Um, instead of you get the farm all booted up and then you don't have somebody to build around. So they, they could just try to go that route too. 
for sure. The Nationals are a team to me that I don't think they even know what they're doing. Um, you know, obviously they kind of sold off everything last year, getting rid of Trey Turner, getting rid of Scherzer. And the only really big player left with Washington is at this point Juan Soto. Obviously, Victor Robles was the big guy, but he hasn't really played very well for them. And going forward, I just don't know what they do with Soto. Um, you know, he, I, I think it's maybe three years left, and then he becomes a free agent. It's coming quick. And I don't know if I don't know if the Nationals are really going to be ready to compete in that three-year period. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to trade him maybe next offseason or something like that, because I don't think they're ready to compete this year. And unless they make major changes, I don't think they will be yeah. uh, for the duration of that contract. Yeah. They got some guys like Kiebert and uh, Gray coming from this trade. So, you know, they, they should theoretically be able to bounce back a little bit from how bad they were maybe the second half of the season last year. But if it's, if Strasburg, you know, they have so many X factors, right? If Strasburg was totally healthy, we would probably be viewing this differently, right? If Patrick Corbin wasn't one of the worst players in baseball last year, we'd probably be looking at this different because then you have two guys that are paid to be aces that would be aces. And then it's like, oh, wow, they can actually start putting some pieces together. But Strasburg, like, I cannot think of a bigger question mark in Major League Baseball than Steven Strasburg just every year at this point. It's like you just have no idea. You know, it seemed like he was the like during the World Series run, he was probably the best player on the planet. And then since then, he's done nothing or worse than nothing. And, you know, mostly off the field has just been he's just been hurt. You know, um, then we had the Marlins, which, uh, you know, Drew mentioned, like, it, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say it should be easy to build up the Marlins, right? They have all these core pieces that are really fun and interesting. They, they just signed, I, I believe they signed Sandy Alcantara to an extension before the lockout. I could be misremembering that. It was a long time ago, but Sandy is one of the best young pitchers in baseball. Pablo Lopez is good. They got a handful of guys behind Trevor Rogers. Another one of those guys that's just really good. Uh, their lineup has players jazz. I really love jazz. They got some dudes, but their holes are so pronounced where it's like, if you just threw Nick Castellanos in the field, that is such a drastic improvement because you're going from not, you know, one war to three war. You're going from like negative one war to three war. You know what I mean? It's it's that kind of situation. But how much do we trust them to make those moves? I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, the Marlins to me, like, they've been in like a perpetual rebuild, right? Like whenever they seem to have any player that comes up, plays really well, almost always it seems like they get traded a few years later and you know they made the playoffs during that COVID 60 game season but other than that they haven't really been relevant for a long time and with those holes that you mentioned I can't really see that changing for now I think they would if, if you're just purely playing with money right obviously it's not our billionaire money but you know, they would be a team that would naturally be a Korea destination if you're just looking purely at the landscape of what they have and what they're capable of, right? Because they can throw a bunch of money at one guy. Their payroll is still pretty low. And now you have one, like, you know, top five shortstop in baseball to go with Jazz and all these other guys and a really rocking pitching staff. And, you know, they've made moves like Jacob Stallings and things like that previously, you know, a few months ago that will make them better. It's just a matter of, like, are the Marlins trying to win 78 games or are they trying to win 90 games? I think is where my head's at because they're clearly competent, but you have to level above competent to get into even, even an expanded playoffs. 
Yeah, they just really need to spend some money. And I think an underrated thing about the Marlins is that they're in a division where every other team spends money. Like every other team is willing to go right up to that luxury cap number, if not above the luxury tax number. And the Marlins really struggle to even have $100 million on their payroll. And it's just hard to compete when you're like that. Yeah. And, and if this was, if, if they're going to spend money, they need to spend money. This was the year to do it, right? Yeah. You look at the free agent market next year, that's not... It's not deep. It's not what it was this year. And when the offseason started, the talk around the Marlins was, okay, well, maybe they'll blow up the pitching staff here and there to get some help. They didn't do that. Alcantara's still there. Lopez's still there. Rogers, Hernandez, Sixto Sanchez, they're all still there. So they've got a really good core in that rotation, but they haven't built around it, and they didn't take advantage of it this winter. So I don't know when it is they're going to spend the money or who they're going to spend on. It just seems like a really wasted opportunity this year. Yeah. Um, and I will throw it to each of you. Who would you, if you had to project now, who would be your champion to come out of the NL East? And maybe if you had to project three weeks from now, maybe closer to opening day, do you foresee a change in, you know, via trade or free agency that impacts that final result in your head? Yeah, um, to me, I see the Mets as a pretty clear front runner um, in the division, which I know is kind of weird to say, uh, seeing that the Braves won the World Series last year. But I think the, the Mets are a team that maybe wins anywhere between 95 to maybe 100 games. Um, and I think they have obviously some question marks, but I think it's just so unlikely that that Mets curse comes back for another year. and Every single player is just you know having career low years. Um I think the Braves are probably the best team to compete with the Mets. I think they're another easy 90 win team. Uh, but I think the Freeman loss is just going to be a lot bigger than a lot of people think. Yep. Um, and below that, I don't think that the Phillies, the Mets or the Phillies, the Marlins or the Nationals are really ready to compete with either of those two teams. Phillies maybe can get in with the expanded playoffs, but um, Nationals and Marlins, I don't think that they're going to be uh, really relevant at all this year. Yeah, I'm there too. Uh, it, it, to me, it has to be the Mets. The, the Braves will be a good team this year. They're not going to be a great team, but they'll be a good team. They should make the postseason. I don't, even with the expanded playoffs, I don't see the Phillies getting in. Um, but there's, to me, there's no way the Mets don't just run this division this year. I, you know, there, you can say there's no way the Mets are going to do something every year, and they could. Uh, but the, the, it really seems like they, they've got it all running this year. I've seen too much of the Mets to put money on them doing this. I would never stake anything on the Mets doing, <laughs> putting up a hundred wins or whatever, but I do agree with you guys. It should be them. And if I had to pick, it should be them. And I think they have room to maneuver still. They have some dudes on their roster that you could probably swap out. Say, say they needed another reliever in a couple months. You have guys like Dom Smith, JD Davis that are basically bench guys now right and it's nice to have solid bench bats but you can move those guys and they can turn into more valuable relievers or whatever emergency starter types if they need them down the road so they've really done a good job in not only acquiring those big stars but guys like chris bassett are really significant pieces even if he's just there for a year he didn't give up a ton he gave up a decent amount but that's a really good pitcher that you now have for a year you're talking about carlos carrasco probably being their fifth starter and Carlos Carrasco was like the most consistent number two starter in baseball for what felt like five or six years with Cleveland. So um, I would agree with you guys. I think the, I think the Braves are like the most obvious, like wild card team 
maybe outside of the NL West. Um, I don't know exactly how. I'm guessing it's just another couple extra teams, but um, the Phillies should be in that hunt. It wouldn't surprise me if the Nationals or Marlins were if they did something or someone broke out, but the Marlins are probably more equipped to do so based on their roster, but less equipped so to do so based on their money. The Nationals more so with money, less so based on roster. So those are the teams that I don't think any team is going to be bad. Even the Nationals I don't think will be bad. I think they'll figure out a way to figure uh, – be confident around Soto. I just don't think it's enough to hang with really solidified teams already. Cool. And uh, we can jump to the AL East, which I think we're going to have kind of a similar situation where either, this is about as balanced of a division as I think you could possibly have with one jarring exception. You have four teams that feel fairly indistinguishable, despite the fact that they are built very differently and have very different strengths. Um, I think, you know, all of them were right there on the cusp of the playoffs. They probably, you know, in, in this current format, all of them would have been there, I believe. Um, so let's start, uh, with the blue Jays since that is your team here, Drew, where do you see them stacking up with all this? And we talked a little bit before about what moves they could be targeting, but start with Chapman and start with, you know, what they have right now. Sure. So, so the first thing is to recognize what they lost, right? They had the Cy Young winner last year, Robbie Ray gone to Seattle. They have Marcus Simeon finished third in MVP voting. He's gone to Texas. So while they were a good team last year, didn't make the postseason, they were a good team, but they lost some big pieces. So they signed Kevin Gosman to come in on a five-year deal. He's the new Robbie Ray. He's got all the same question marks in terms of his history as Robbie Ray. He's got similar numbers to Robbie Ray. He's, he's supposed to do that job. Um, they don't get a full replacement for Simeon, at least not yet they haven't, but they did pick up Matt Chapman. Last year, they had Kevin Biggio and Santiago Espinal uh, splitting duties at third base. Uh, Espinal is a good defensive player, uh, not a great bat. He, he did have a good season last year. Kevin Biggio was hurt last year very poor defense at third base. So they're seeing a big, big uh, upgrade here with Matt Chapman playing third, especially when you look at the heat maps. Those have been going around for the Jays pitchers and their ground balls. They all go to third. So Chapman will be there just to act as a vacuum, but that'll help Bo Bichette as well. Um, Rounding out the rotation, they lost Steven Matz to the Cardinals, who was a useful piece. They brought in Yusei Kikuchi, who they're really – Again, you go back to the Robbie Ray comparison. It's a lefty who throws hard, who doesn't necessarily know where the ball is going to go or where it's going to land. They're hoping Pete Walker can fix him too. So it's a strong rotation. Uh, you know, you've got Barrios at the start, Gosman, uh, Alec Manoa coming into his second season, Kenjin Ryu slots in as your fourth starter, and then Kikuchi to round it out. So it's a, it's a good place to start with the rotation. The lineup is what it is, you know, Vlad and Bo and Teoscar, Lourdes Gurriel, Chapman now, Alejandro Kirk. The the offense isn't going to be an issue. Um, the one knock against them is that they're very right-handed. The Really, the only left-handed bat is Kevin Biggio. Um, they might still try to address that. Would have liked to see them sign Corey Dickerson. He went to the Cardinals. Uh, so they're, they're still on the hunt. Carlos Bayargo would have you convinced that they're going to land Jose Ramirez and that would just fix everything. Um, but short of that happening, that's, that's one, one question mark. I, I guess it's just the, the handedness of the batters. 
the one soft spot, I guess, on the team would be the bullpen. It's not a bad bullpen. It's it's fine. It's serviceable. It it shouldn't blow too many games. Um, but you you wouldn't depend on them to lock out a week's worth of one nothing games either. Yeah. So that that's something that you know they they might add a couple of arms before the end of spring. But that's one of those things you can just tinker with as the season goes on. So going into the season, you know, ninety one wins last year feeling very confident now not having to split games between Dunedin and Buffalo and Toronto, just getting to go back and play in Toronto um, as it stands right now with the, the vaccine requirements might not have to see Aaron judge for a little bit either. That is quite um, the asset. <laughs> the, yeah. So, so where, where it was a competitive disadvantage for the Jays for a couple of years there, all of a sudden it'll be a competitive advantage. Um, so yeah, feeling really, really good about the Jays this year. Um, you mentioned that kind of rumor of Jose Ramirez, and obviously that would be, you know, he would instantly slot in as one of the best players in the division, you know, no doubt. Um, but it's interesting thinking about they got so much out of Robbie Ray for so little. They got so much out of Marcus Simeon for so little. It's just hard to fathom. You know, I love Matt Chapman. He's incredible. Kevin Gosman is a really talented player. I have my issues with how he does it but clearly the Giants figured out how to make it work and he deserved the contract he got but is there just enough based on what they have now that you can not only replace that but also take one more step like where where does that extra step come from do you think well the rotation is what it is the extra step honestly to make it better would be a big name. It would be a Jose Ramirez to play second. It would be a Kettle Marte to play second. Um, The one thing the Jays had, they still have payroll flexibility. They've been, they've been smart about their contracts. um, Even with George Springer, even with Gosman, obviously they're going to have to pay Bo and Vlad or at least one of them in the next couple of years, but they have money there. They also still have the prospect capital to do it. Even in the Chapman trade, uh, I know the athletics are happy with the package they received. But the Jays didn't give up a ton. They gave up Kevin Smith and Gunnar Hogland, who may or may not be something five years from now. But in terms of the top prospects, if there's a big trade to be made for a Marte or a Ramirez, the Jays still have depth to go to. And they still have Alejandro Kirk as somebody off of the big league roster who could go as well. So really, they're not going to take the next step with some fringe additions because their, their baseline is so high right now. In, in order to move them further ahead, it would have to be something more significant. And we'll start with Drew and then move to Joe on this question. Between the other three or, you know, uh, you know, include the Blue Jays in this, who should be considered the favorite in this division? Because I think a lot of people are going to have different answers and thoughts on exactly who is going to start out the year as this is the team to beat. I think going historically, you'd have to say the Rays just because the Rays always find some way to scratch out 95 wins. Um, but I personally, I think it's the Jays. I, I don't know that there's a better rotation in the AL East. I don't know there's a better lineup. The Yankees are going to be able to mash, but the Blue Jays can mash, and the Blue Jays can pitch better than the Yankees can pitch. Can the Rays rely on two starters and a bunch of bullpen days again? Maybe, pro- probably, and they'll probably get their 95 wins. But I don't know that the Jays don't get 98. So I, I think it's the Blue Jays. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the Blue Jays are the favorite in the ALEs for sure. I think that it's really underrated um, the 
differences that they're going to have uh, off the field. Um, you know, being back at home for the full season, not having to play in Dunedin or uh, Buffalo, um, as well as honestly, like just the vaccine requirement for players to travel to Toronto. Like every team is going to have a few players just completely unable to play. And the difference that could have on pitching staffs, on the lineup, even outside of the, uh, the example that was mentioned earlier uh, by Drew with Judge. But every team is going to have deficits when they head into Toronto. And Toronto's not going to have that problem. And I just think that those two things combined is a huge difference off the field. And I think talent-wise, I think they're even with those other teams. But I think that that's what takes them over the top. That is one of the craziest X-Factors of the season, and it can't really be understated because we haven't seen it quite play out that way yet because last year, you know, they were in Dunedin for a while. They are in Buffalo for a while. So we haven't really seen the full effect of this Canadian, uh, you know, United States issue uh, play out. And I'm really, really fascinated by how it's going to work. Our team's going to be really, really strict about, Aaron, you need to get the shot because we need to win in Toronto. You know, is that is that where it's going to be um, where some relationships might get strained based on that issue? Um, I'm very curious to see how that'll work. Um, the Rays are such a curious team. Um, you know, the Rays do what the Rays do. They were great again last year. There's rumors they might be selling off Austin Meadows or something like that. Yet they were they offered Freddie Freeman one hundred and fifty million dollars, which I was stunned by as even. I know the Rays are good. I know they like to target talented people. That would have probably blown their biggest, you know, free agent contract out of the water by <laughs> three times, four times, five times. Like they just don't do it. And the idea that they were willing to throw that much money at a star first baseman really makes me curious about how they view the current team where, hey, it might be worth us spending $30 million this year because we think we're that good. And it's hard to debate it when you got Wander looking that good after two months and then this full team around him that looks pretty solid too. Yeah, and this is the thing, right? It's not just Freddie Freeman where they've offered reportedly around $150 million. They gave Wander $182 million, Yeah. right? Uh, the Rays are starting to spend money, or at least they're, they're giving the sense that they're willing to. That's scary, right? The, 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 the comparison I make, the, the Dodgers – are the Rays with the Yankees payroll. If you let the Rays start spending money themselves, who knows what they can do? So they've had a pretty quiet winter. They picked up Corey Kluber. The rest of the team's basically intact, and they're just going to roll with it the way they always do. Um, and it's going to work for them because it all, I mean, it, it gets repetitive with the Rays, but you say, you know, the Rays do what the Rays do when they win. And that's just the truth of the matter. They'll run out with their two starters and their 18 relievers and they'll shut teams down and they'll scratch and claw out four runs and beat you 60% of the time. Yeah. So that's how it's going to go, but it is, it's very interesting that they were, they were serious about Freddie Freeman. They weren't kicking tires as people thought they were. And again, you go back to what they gave Wander Franco. These guys might have some money now. I think the biggest question, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. That was exactly what I was going to bring up. They gave Wander all that money. I think the Rays might be heading into a new era in which they're willing to spend maybe a little bit more money. Um, maybe not quite to the Dodgers level of that payroll, <laughs> but maybe get up to $100 million, $120 million, something like that even. Um, the Rays are a team that I look at. I think that they're a team that could really make a big trade. They're known for that front office being very conniving, making the great deals all the time. I'm not sure exactly what they'd be looking at because they're pretty solid across the board. I don't think that there really is a clear weakness on the Rays. 
maybe some better starting pitching would be something for the Rays. So they don't have to run with as many bullpen games. Um, but I think the Rays are maybe a little one trade away from really me being able to say that they're over the top um, and being front runners in the division. But as of now, I, I do have the Blue Jays a little ahead of them. Yeah, I think the rotation is definitely the part that it's it's like you can see it all working out, right? You can envision Shane Boz being amazing immediately. Um, you can envision these other guys. Uh, McClanahan was really good last year in his first year, and I don't think people really saw him as that kind of guy before, but I mean, when you throw lefty and you're sitting 97, 98, 99 every single day, you know, they really leaned on him in the playoffs a lot. You could really see him continuing that if he's able to maintain kind of the rigors of that full season. There, and Luis Patino, another guy that everyone loves, he's still, what, like 22, you know, coming from the Padres a couple of years ago. Um, they have guys that could definitely do it. Kluber has done it before. He's a little old. I don't know if that's really like a fix for anything, but it's a guy. It feels like if one of those guys doesn't step up, though, or if one gets hurt, it could really fall apart. And then you're forced into bullpen games rather than using those as kind of a luxury. So I'm very curious to see how that kind of breaks down for them. And if they do end up they have plenty of assets, right? They have guys like Vidal Bruhan that they should be playing every day, but because they have so many players don't have to, is he a trade guy or is he someone that can play center field or something like that? If they trade Kiermaier, you know, it's always like this, like rotation of dudes coming in and out. So I'm very curious, like you said, do they have someone in mind that, Hey, if we're in this thing, we don't have to pay too much money because we have the prospects to get it done. Yeah. And I think another option for the Rays that's interesting is they have the payroll flexibility that they might not even have to give up that many prospects. They have the flexibility where they can take on maybe a not so great contract for one year, two years, and not really have to give up as much just because, you know, there's so many teams that want to dump payroll right now. Exactly. Um, and we haven't touched upon it very much, but the Yankees and Red Sox are still there. <laughs> like it feels like the Yankees and Red Sox are like, you could just pencil in for 90 wins and no one will be surprised. And they were getting to them third and fourth, which is this, the division is just crazy. Like, I just literally have no idea what to think here. We're talking about the Yankees with Judge and all these guys, seemingly full health, you know, for the most part. Obviously, they still have some guys like Severino that are question marks, but he's around, you know, they got, they're old, but Donaldson's good. You know, he was a good pickup. Joey Gallo was a really rough transition for him to Yankee Stadium, but theoretically it could be great. You know, he's one of the most talented players in baseball despite his main deficiency. Um, and then you have the Red Sox who just hit the hell out of the ball. They have Chris Sale, who I think is out for a little while, but should be yeah, back. He's, he's, he's hurt right now. He's yeah. got something with his ribs, I think. So, yeah, he'll, so he's he'll, a he'll little, be out for a little while. A little of a question mark, but Nathan Eovaldi coming off a great year and some other interesting pieces in the mix. They really haven't have – they, have they made any big splashes or free agent pickups? I can't think well, of any off the top of my head. They brought back Rich Hill for the thousandth time. <laughs> um, they they picked up James Paxton, who's hurt. Yeah. They don't know when they ex- they don't know when they expect him to come back. And then just on uh, lockout eve, they made that trade for Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. So he's Which, back to give them some defense. Yeah, going from Renfro to Bradley feels like kind of a downgrade in offense for sure. And then defense. I mean, Renfro is also a pretty good defender. So you know, it seems like they've mostly stayed the same and are just hoping some guys get healthy, but they, they almost made the world series last year, you know? So it's like, you know, you have Raphael Devers who I just think is 
endlessly incredible. You know, Bogarts, I think, has an opt-out after this year, but he's he's reliable. Verdugo's still young. If they ended up getting a piece, it wouldn't shock me if they just ran the table. You know what I mean? 100 wins for them with a Chris, healthy Chris Sale and all these guys, that's not out of the realm of possibility at all. They, they could do it. They're certainly going to be a 90-win team anyway. Yeah. And when they, when they were supposedly in on Freddie Freeman, you're thinking, what a fantastic fit that would have been. And as a Jays fan, I'm glad they missed on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but but no, you're right. They're a very complete team. The starting pitching leaves a little to be desired, I think, and they might get beat up there. But the offense is going to be there. They're going to hit, man. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be another solid, good year for the Red Sox. I really thought say I would have been that would have been a great pickup for them because I think that would have been that kind of edge that you know. Uh, he's still an unknown in a certain sense, right? But he's a great athlete, you know, not old yet. You know, all it takes is money to keep him, you know, or grab him. Um, he would have just been pelting the monster, I think, or putting balls over the monster all year. Um, I think Wrigley uh, Cubs fans hope he's going to do the same there. Um, but, yeah, it feels like they're stable. And so does the Yankees, right? The Yankees, Yankees are in an interesting spot because we said – you know, they, they, they're in the same boat. They have everything they need, theoretically, right? But are they just too old? Are they just too fragile? You know, Stanton had a little bit of a pickup last year, which is nice. Um, but do they, do they have enough as it is? And it seems like they're unwilling to kind of go that extra mile to spend, which is an interesting thought about the New York well, Yankees. They, they seem to be, but I mean, I think the Yankees are running a payroll of like $250 million this year. Mm. It's just, what has it gotten them is the question. Yeah. Um, you, you would expect them to be a bit younger, just a bit better when you're spending that kind of money, but this is where they're at. And they picked up $50 million for Josh Donaldson. They might get 80 games out of them. Right. And that, that's the question for their big bats. You got Stanton, Judge, Donaldson. When they're healthy, man, they're great. When they're not healthy, they're not hitting. <laughs> So as long, as long as they have health on their side, and obviously that applies to the rotation as well. They should be, they should be good. And it's going to be four really, really good teams in the AL East. Um, I, I think easily the most competitive, easily the best division in baseball going into this season. Um, and then on the other end, there's the Orioles who I think are very interesting. You look at what they've got, right? They've got Mount Castle. They've got, uh, Santander they've got uh, Adley Rushman coming up obviously they've got the holes in the rotation I mean they can't pitch um, and who am I missing who am I thinking Cedric Mullins yeah. who may or may not be traded but hopefully he's not and when you hear about the Orioles possibly in on Carlos Correa looking at giving him 300 million dollars you see the fit yeah because you see this is a team that they're a team that's coming the problem is they're going to run into the other four yeah. So when's their window? Because the Blue Jays window is three, four, five years right now. The Yankees and Red Sox might be a little shorter, but they never do a full teardown. So where is it that the Orioles are hoping to strike? When is it? I'm not sure. But I think adding somebody like Carlos Correa to that group that's under control would be really fun and could make them a, a strong team in two or three years' time. It would it, Even this year, it would make them that team that, and I think the the Marlins had this as a uh, 
Phillies fan, Joe, you probably experienced this. The Marlins just were a pain in the Phillies' ass, it felt like, for the last couple of years. <laughs> he just... No, no matter how poor the Marlins record was, the Phillies just could not figure out a way to have like a really great record against them. And that ended up screwing them up when it came to the end of the year. Right. And if the Orioles pick up someone like Correa, they already have guys like John Means and uh, Mullins and these other guys that are just interesting and when's Rutschman going to play. I think he's actually hurt right now. They might delay that a little bit, but you know, they have enough guys where it's like, this is an annoying team to have to deal with when you already have three other, you know, kind of juggernauts in your division um it would be really fascinating to see them say hey we're building something here carlos come be the centerpiece of that and uh how they could build around that yeah i I think that the orioles are actually a pretty underrated team just because they get beat up so much by everybody else in the division um but i think they have a lot of pieces competitive pieces young pieces that could have them be maybe a threat in, you know, a few years. I think if you put in the AL Central, for example, I think they're probably maybe even an 80-win team in the AL Central uh, next year. Um, it's just they, they play so many good teams on a regular basis that it, it's it's hard for them to do anything right now. Right. Um, yeah, I think the schedule does not help them out. You know, the lack of pitching and the combination of – I feel like every – everything where outside of the trop and that division is just home run nightmare park, you know, um, which does not help a kind of middling pitching staff, but, you know, they have Adley cup coming. Uh, he's a great bat, but also seemingly will be one of those Buster Posey types where every pitcher that works with him should be better off for it. Um, Grayson Rodriguez sounds really exciting and they got a ton of other guys in the draft recently that are really, really fascinating. So um, they should be, especially if they get Correa. I don't know if they will. I think he's more likely to probably just end up somewhere back in Houston or something, but I'm not going to rule him out. We've seen teams do this before, uh, and it's shocking until, you know, they have their core guy and then a bunch of, you know, 23-year-olds ready to ball out. So um, it can certainly work that way. Um, You guys both mentioned that the Blue Jays are kind of your running favorite right now. Um, would you pick them to win the division? And do you expect all four of these teams to make the playoffs in the expanded playoff system? I'm going to say yes to both. I think the Jays will win the division. If not the Jays, then the Rays. And I think all four of them are going to, they're, they're going to beat up on each other all year, but they're going to feast on the rest of the American league. And I think all four of them are going to find themselves in October. And that will be, very interesting. Yeah, I have the Blue Jays winning the division. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Um, if the situation, you know, with the vaccines across the border, if that changes, maybe my opinion on that would change a little bit. But I do think that the Blue Jays have the most talented roster. Um, and I don't think there's four playoff teams in the AL East. I think there's three. Um, I think that the Rays and Blue Jays, 100%. I can't see them missing unless things really go south. I think I feel pretty good about the Red Sox as well. With the Yankees, I think there's just too many injury question marks, and especially now Judge might only be playing 70 games this year uh, with the situation in New York. Um, I have a hard time seeing everything breaking right for the Yankees, especially when they're playing those other three juggernauts in the division. Um, So because of that, I struggle to see the Yankees in the playoffs this year. Yeah, it's that whole the vaccination thing is going to play a major part of everyone's season, but it can't play a bigger part of anyone's season bigger than the Yankees 
you know, considering how many times they're going to have to play in Toronto, considering how many times they're going to have to play at home with, I, I, I think they're going to figure out something, you know, I don't think there's going to be a scenario where Aaron judge has missed 82 games or whatever, you know, 81 games, but you know, you can't count it out, you know, as a possibility. No. We didn't think it with Kyrie, <laughs> but yeah. look at what they're doing now. Who knows if he even I, stays healthy, even if he yeah, can play. Exactly. I just don't think you signed Anthony Rizzo if that's going to be an issue. Correct. I think they must yeah. have I, they must have some assurances that things are going to change. Otherwise, you're signing Rizzo to play 81, less not 72 games this year. Yeah. Right? But it, it does feel like they're – you know, it feels like every dude on their team is like 33 years old, you know, and a lot of players are great when they're 33. A lot of players start really going downhill when they're 33. Plenty, plenty aren't like that, right? Joey Gallo is not like that. Aaron Judge isn't like that. Although, you know, Judge has his own injury history, but there's just enough, there's, there's just not the question marks there on the other teams, right? Wander's not a question mark. You know, Devers isn't a question mark. The lineups on those teams, you know, Vlad is incredible. We just know that at this point. And a lot of these players they've acquired are great. If I had to, this is more of a gut feel. I would go with the Red Sox just because a little bit more of a track record. I think they have maybe a move left in them, um, either in the lineup or in their pitching staff or something like that. Um, I think they have the ability to upgrade if they need be. They had Dahl back at first base for most of last year, and he hit well, I think, in the last month, but was basically a negative until then. So maybe they could use – if he improves, if he has that kind of jump, that would be helpful, or if they can go and find someone and find stability in these spots where they might suffer. I think that would lift them enough out, and I think they were impressive enough in the playoffs um, if Chris Sale can get healthy, and that's such a – like I said, I'm not betting money on this take because betting on Chris Sale getting healthy is a scary prospect too. But um, the Blue Jays have just enough concerns that I think mainly just trying to replace those two guys is so daunting. And I think Chapman will be able to do that, at least defensively. I really question if Gosman can do that with what Robbie Ray just did last year. So I think Gosman is my biggest. If he does it again, they'll be great. I Like, no doubt. I just... I have questions about how Gosman does it. You know, he is a guy with one amazing pitch. And that pitch is like aces and it made him a great player, but he's now got a five-year, hundred-plus million dollar contract. Is he going to keep that up for another few years? I don't know. With the Blue Jays, for me, I think they did a pretty good job at filling those holes. Because I think Chapman had a pretty down year yeah. offensively last year. I think it's hard to imagine him staying that far down and I think Kikuchi is a really underrated pickup Kikuchi for me is somebody that I've had my eye on for years he has all the stuff all the movement all the velocity he just hasn't been able to put it all together in Seattle and I think that maybe the uh you know the change of pace the change of location I think that he's someone that I see as a major breakout candidate um in the American League all right guys anything else that you wanted to share any hot takes any opinions about either of these divisions we've uh gotten the chat about today no, I'm just going to go back to seeing what my good buddy Carlos is saying, and maybe <laughs> we'll get a new second base. Can we break Jose Ramirez to the Blue Jays? <laughs> I'll have uh, two hot takes, I guess. Go for uh, it. One for each division. I'll start with the American League. Um, I said how I don't think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. Um, I don't think the Yankees are going to be 500 this year. I think that they're going to win somewhere between 77 and uh, 80 games somewhere in that time, yeah, somewhere in that range. 
Um, I could see them winning more if everybody stays healthy, but there's just there's just so many ifs for the Yankees. Um, Stanton was pretty healthy for him last year, but I don't know if that really stands. Judge has all of his problems. Garrett Cole was up and down last year. Uh, Chapman was up and down last year. Uh, I, I, the Yankees, I just have a hard time seeing it all come together. I think there's a real shot they don't go 500. Um, in the National League, uh, a hot take that I think, I think that the um, Nationals, if things go really far south, um, I could see potentially, I don't think this is actually going to happen, but if the Nationals really go south, I could see a Juan, Trotto, Juan Soto trade happening um, come the trade deadline. That's, I, I don't think the Nationals are going to be very good this year. Um, and I don't think Juan Soto is really inclined to re-sign with the Nationals from some of the rumors that I've seen. Um, so those, those are my two hot takes. That's tough. That that's the Mike Trope problem, right? What could you ever get back for him that's worth sending him? Um, but wow, that. <laughs> but there's also the factor be... of would he? You know, if if they're twenty and forty, right? Like they're just they they look pathetic over the first you know third of the season or whatever it is. Like, does he go to the front office and say, "Listen, we're not getting forty games better in a year." So we might need to start thinking about, you know, you either accept $450 million or you should look for a trade for me, you know, cause he's in that kind of position. It feels like. Yeah. yeah. And, and if they do go South, I think it makes sense for the front office to trade him if they don't think they're going to be able to get him back. You know, the nationals always do that thing with giving everybody deferred money. And some people, Bryce Harper didn't want the deferred money. Juan Soto might not want the deferred money. Right. So trying to resign him, could be a complete non-starter and in that case it would make more sense to trade him with those years of control left so you can get probably the biggest haul in, in mlb history imagine if the rays were trying to spend for juan soda <laughs> just gonna no it's go. not <laughs> <laughs> what if they decided to spend that much um cool uh anything else for you guys before we bounce here any any jose ramirez updates Nothing yet. Car- Carlos is not <laughs> he's not made it to Instagram live just yet. All right. Carlos Baerga is uh now on the blacklist for the podcast. So he didn't break the news in time. Um well thank you guys so much for coming along. Um I think both of these divisions are endlessly fascinating for so many reasons. I'm I'm really interested to see what'll happen and you know, maybe that Jose Ramirez trade or something, one of these teams will make some moves would not shock me and all of this becomes different, you know, in a week or two, but um, thank you guys. Uh, You know, you can follow them on Reddit, see what they're, see what they're up to. Do you guys, are you guys involved in the team subreddits? Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm a mod for the Philly subreddit. Cool. And I am over Toronto Blue Jays. Sweet. So Toronto Blue Jays, Philly subreddits, go check them out there. Go, go have fun, hang out there during their game days. And um, thanks you guys again. And we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our Baseball Weekly is executive produced by Lewis, and our production administrator is Christine. The intro segment was hosted by me, Nime, and I was joined by Shane and Phil. I also edited this episode. Our Division Dandy segment was hosted by Dylan, and thank you so much to Seahawks Joe and THQP for joining us for that. Our theme music was composed by Chuck Lease. Our Baseball Weekly releases 
every Monday before the crow calls. Is that what Lewis says? Anyway, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>